great to see you this morning. I am glad that you are here. Today we're talking about missions. Uh, did you notice the foyer? There's a lot of decorations out there. And maybe if you came to Sunday school class, you also heard some of our missionaries speaking. We're sp- talking about missions this week, and we're going to be talking about missions next week. And the reason we want to do this is we want to highlight missions around the world. You see, God has called us not just to go to our Jerusalem, but God has called us to go all around the world, to our state, to our nation, and all other nations. And God has called us to do that. And one of the ways that we actually are able to, as a church, go into all the nations is by going through our missions. We're part of the Southern Baptist Missions uh, group where we give each month a portion. When you are generous to the church, and as you give to the church, what we do as a church is that we give a portion of that money we go to um, locally. We give here to the local Dallas area. We also give to the state. We give to the North American Mission Board as well to help other things here in North America. And we give to around the world. And so we're so thankful when you are generous, it allows us as a church to be generous. And it allows us to hear what is going on. And today I've asked Scott Coleman. He is of the Dallas Baptist Association. He is a church planner. He's working right here in the local area doing many things that we need to have happen. I don't know if you know, but there are lots of people coming to our area. And Scott is going to be talking about that in just a moment. And as he comes, here's what he's going to do. He's going to challenge us. He's going to challenge us. It is good for us as a church to hear what God is doing around this area. You drive around, and sometimes we just kind of get lost in, oh, hey, look, there's, just, there's a church. God's obviously working. But we have more people coming to this area, and we need to be doing more. And so if you notice the foyer, I'm going to draw your attention to it in a minute as well when we finish the service. I want you to be, take a moment, walk through the, the booths. These are mission organizations that maybe God is calling you to maybe get a part of, be a part of. This is things that we as a church are already involved in, and maybe God is calling you to do something else. But as we um, get into this time, this is Scott Coleman of the Dallas Baptist Association, and he is a church over the church planning here in the Dallas area. So would you give him a warm welcome? Scott, thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor. Yeah, it is a joy to be here, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to, to thank you. Heath, I was waiting. Heath gave me an honorary uh, doctorate in the first sermon, he, in the first service. He called me Dr. Coleman, and so I was, uh, I've never been called that before. But yeah, no, I am really glad to be here. I do have the um, privilege of uh, having been born and raised in uh, Dallas, born and raised here, and God has uh, allowed me to be involved in some of the work that's going on through the Dallas Baptist Association the DBA is a, a group of churches. It's a really small staff. I mean, there's just four or five of us that are kind of like me that are there working in different areas. So it's a relatively small staff, but what we do is try to encourage our churches as they reach out to reach the uh, people that God has brought close to them. So let me say this morning, I kind of have a couple of purposes, and one is to really thank you for what you were doing as a sending church. You know, Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the local church, and we just saw a great video of a um, of a couple who were sent out by the Southern Baptists, by you guys, who were sent them out there. As Heath mentioned, there are, um, well, I think the video actually said there are in between four and 5,000 foreign missionaries, right, through the Southern Baptist Convention that are reaching every part of the world into all kinds of people groups. Um, maybe you've heard of ethno-linguistic people groups. If you're with uh, Wycliffe, you certainly have heard of that because we're learning a whole lot from our Wycliffe friends and uh, from foreign missions, even things that we're beginning to apply here. But there are different people groups who have different languages, who have different dialects and different cultures. But then some of those, uh, are, and many of those, are not touched by the gospel. There are groups that we call unreached people groups. And those are people groups where less than 2% of that population 
uh, has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so there are people like that, obviously, around the world, spread out around the world. And so thank you for sending people there. But they've also come to the United States. There are, um, uh, the, uh, there are people coming to the cities. Uh, some historians say that the, what the 21st century will be known for is the migration of people from the countryside into the cities of the world. Just in the year, oh goodness, I think it was about three years ago, uh, the world went from being for millennia before, from the beginning of history until I think in the year uh, 2010. I don't hold me to that, but it was sometime in the last five years. The world went from being primarily rural and living outside of cities to becoming um, primarily urban with more people living in cities than outside and in metropolitan areas than outside. God is doing a great thing, not just in the United States, but a huge historical shift all around the world, bringing people to the cities. And just looking at that from a, from a theological perspective, we think if God's in charge of history, if, uh, if God is, is the one who is, uh, who is weaving this, this storyline, well, what might he be doing? to be bringing people, and now that, uh, that has sped up. The n- uh, number of people that are coming to the cities, uh, the rate of that is increasing, even in, even in our area. I'll mention that in just a minute. But looking at it from a theological perspective, could it be that God is bringing people to, hit, to, to the cities where they can more easily hear the gospel, where we don't have to go across the, uh, across the world to reach somebody who speaks a language from Eastern Asia? Instead, that person is here. People from Amazonian um, uh, tribes may be here in, the United, here in the United States and even in Dallas now. So it's a historic time. And thank you for what you are doing as far as sending people internationally, sending people nationally. The North American Mission Board is uh, focusing on cities. They have things called send cities. And so they're focusing on, on starting churches and reaching people who are in these urban centers. And one of those urban centers is here in Dallas. In fact, uh, that is the area that I get to work with, with the Dallas Baptist Association, and the one that you are most closely tied to because you live uh, right here. The Dallas area is a mission field that is growing in several different ways. And one way is it's just growing plain numerically. Last year, in one year alone, 108 thousand people came to the DFW Metroplex. To our one metropolitan area, uh, 108,000 people came here. That's the third largest in all of the United States. New York beats us, of course, and then Houston has a lot of people coming in there. But other than those two, Dallas and uh, Fort Worth together have 108. That's like the entire city of Waco moving up into Dallas in one year. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge number. So we're growing in, uh, in number, but we're also growing in diversity. I mentioned, uh, you know, we think, of, uh, we think of Dallas as being primarily an English-speaking place, you know, where most people are like us, maybe with, uh, with uh, some variety thrown in. Did you know that 42% of, uh, the, of Dallas County is what we call New Americans? They are people either who were not born here or their parents were not born here. The 42% New Americans, and so 39%... Of, da- of Dallas and Rockwall counties speak a language other than English at home. 39%. You know there's no clear, there's no majority any longer in, in, it had been that way for a while in the city of Dallas, but now in the county of Dallas, there's no one ethnicity that makes up uh, more than 50%. In fact, uh, the Hispanic number has grown larger than the Anglo number, and so we are a really diverse 
uh, uh, two-county area. We work primarily in Dallas and Rockwall. And then just uh, beyond those two major language groups, there are, we can name, uh, the numbers actually, I said in the previous service, it was 372, but we can name 272 languages by name that we know are spoken in Dallas and Rockwall. And, and there's probably many more than that. So there's probably over 300, about 300 languages that are being spoken in the homes of people that live no more than 20 minutes, 20 or 30 minutes from where you are right now. It's amazingly diverse. God has brought people to us. And so at the DBA, what we're trying to do is to help our churches. Our vision is to see the kingdom of God grow in all of these places. In fact, to see it multiply. That's the pictures we get through scriptures, multiplication. You plant a seed and you don't get just one, uh, one seed out of that. You get a flower that has lots of seeds or you get corn that has lots of kernels. So we want to see things multiply. We'd love to see uh, disciples multiply. We'd love to see ministries multiply and to see churches multiply in our area so that we can reach into every different kind of people group uh, that is out there. You guys, I love this worship. Thank you so much. I truly worshiped up here on the front row and I, and I really felt the spirit in, in here worshiping like that. Well, for somebody who comes from a, a language group other than English, don't they deserve to also have their, uh, their heart sing, just like my heart sang while we were worshiping just now? So, so that's what we're attempting to do, is to see God start a church in every one of those places, to minister in all those different, uh, in all those different languages. Um, let's see, what other statistics do I want to give you? Well, let me just tell you that what we're trying to do, I'll tell you a little bit about DBA. The whole time is not going to be a commercial for DBA. But what we are trying to do is trying to model for our churches ways that you also might reach out into your community. And so what we're doing first and primarily is praying. Uh, in Luke 10, 2, it says to beseech the Lord of the harvest, ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into the harvest. The harvest is there. People are there. They're, the problem is not in the harvest. If our, if our churches are declining, if, if we're seeing fewer believers, the problem, Jesus says, is not in the harvest. In fact, he's in Samaria when he says this. It is... Um, I think it's right after the Samaritan woman. And he meets her at the well. And he says, look, all these people coming from that Samaritan town, Sikar, that's exactly what it was. They were coming from that town, and he's telling his disciples, look, these people that you think are heathen, they're wide unto harvest. They are ready to come. But what's the problem? How do we go about that? You go about it by asking God to send forth workers into the harvest. So that's what we're doing. We're praying that God will raise up churches, that God will raise up individuals, that he'll raise up groups of people who, who feel called to reach into all these different people groups, but then not just language groups, but, uh, but school groups. You, you have a, a mission field that God has called you to as well. We'll talk more about that, but we're praying that God will raise up. So that's the first thing we do. And then the second thing we do is we seek to strengthen our churches. And so that's through leadership training, through helping you with ministries. I mentioned in the first service about garden socks. We helped uh, just last month a bunch of churches. I think it was about 50 churches uh, with about 148 uh, garden socks. And those are, um, you can make a garden out of any place. It's a tube of, um, of mesh that organic material, compost is put into. You lay it out uh, on a patio. You lay it out on a driveway. You lay it out anywhere. And you put seeds in it. And one 4x4 four four garden sock uh, garden can raise enough vegetables for a family of four for a whole season. All the vegetables they need and for that um, for a season. And so we help churches reach out into their communities with, uh, with that idea. And already from that, 
one of those churches has started a garden sock church, I guess. So the people said that they wanted to get together to learn how to, uh, how to plant. You know, we're urban folks. We don't know how to plant. We don't know how to, how to grow things. So they said, well, let's get together and talk about that. And now they're having church as they get together with that. They're talking about the Bible. They're praying for each other and supporting uh, each other. So those kinds of creative ways of reaching out into the community is what we want to help uh, you and other churches with. We help, obviously, with Vacation Bible School. Y'all did a great thing for kids here. I heard there was not a parking place, right? I mean, 2,000 people. I mean, that is really something. And, um, and so we're reaching out to, to kids. That's the most fertile mission field. Uh, even in England, I was hearing a guy speak a couple of weeks ago, and he says, we need to reach people when they're young. That's when their hearts are, are very tender. And so how do, we, how do we reach that? So Vacation Bible School is the largest evangelistic event in most churches' year. And so how can we help churches do, uh, do Vacation Bible School in such a way that they see uh, even children respond uh, to the gospel in those ways? Mount Lebanon Baptist Encampment is part of uh, DBA. Every year out there, thousands of people come. About 8,000 people came during summer camp this year. About 25,000 people came during the retreat seasons in the spring, in the fall, in the winter. Altogether, about 35, uh, about 35 I know my numbers didn't add up quite right there, but about 35,000 uh, people came to Mount Lebanon last year. And about 1,000 of those made a first-time profession of faith while they were at Mount Lebanon Baptist Encampment. So you are a part of all of that. The part that I get to work with is the church planting part. And for me, I love that because we get to see uh, new churches started in different language groups. So we're reaching different kinds of people. But also, I believe that the church of the future hasn't been invented yet. That, God is, that God's trying to do something new, that he wants something fresh, and, and that's going to look different in different contexts. Again, this worship was great. Y'all found the, the, the way to worship that speaks to, uh, to this group. Well, what might that look like among a different kind of people living in a different, part of, uh, a different part of our city? How would worship look different? How would the church look different? So uh, right now, as we're worshiping right here, right now, there are churches worshiping in dozens of languages. Baptist churches worshiping in dozens of languages. We have about 90 international churches. Those are churches that are not um, Spanish-speaking or English-speaking. I just took out Spanish, but there's about, a, about 90 of those other churches. Some of those, you know, in the last month, we've all heard of Vickery Meadows, right? That's where um, the Ebola uh, case came from, right up by Presbyterian Hospital, across the street, basically, from North Park. Right across from this great affluence of North Park and North Dallas, just across the street from there, along Greenville, right at Park, um, is an area of the most intense uh, diversity and the most intense need in the city of Dallas. Uh, uh, an apartment area of, I think it's a couple of square miles, one square mile of it right there has about 30 different languages that are spoken in the homes. Just intense uh, refugee neighborhood. And so lots of people from all over the world there. Lots of folks heard about it for the first time uh, last month with Ebola. But, but Baptist churches have been working there for years. In fact, right now, worshiping as we're worshiping, is the Myanmar Christian Church. A Baptist church that's made up of people from Burma. There's a Burmese church meeting up there too, both from the same country, but one is, but they're reaching different people groups, different language groups. The Africa Community Church, the Iranian Baptist, Iranian Baptist Church, the Oromo Baptist Church, the First Bhutanese Baptist Church. We don't have a second Bhutanese. I don't know why they chose First Bhutanese, but the First Bhutanese Baptist Church, the Korean Baptist Church, a, a, another people group um, from Burma. And then we've got uh, 
a church planting catalyst is what we call them. People who are not working in starting traditional types, but who are uh, starting house churches and Bible studies among Hindu and Buddhist uh, refugees up there. Kika and Anungla, Jamir, are, uh, are leading uh, Bible studies, but also teaching ESL. One of, those is, uh, one of those Bible studies is happening in a Hindu temple. Isn't that something? In a Hindu temple, there's a, uh, a Bible study going on. A guy named Danny Domingo is doing great evangelistic work uh, up in, the, in those areas, too, uh, using soccer. God gave him great skills and great interest in soccer. In fact, it's more interest. He says he's not very skilled, but he's using uh, what God has laid on his heart to reach the refugees uh, that are in that community and then funneling them into churches where they, can, um, where they can be ministered to in an ongoing way. So in church planting right now with our more traditional type churches, we've got oh, 12 new ones that we started this year and 40 or 41 that, that we're working with kind of on this three-year track. But you see, that's just making a very small dent in the lostness of Dallas because um, even as we're growing in diversity, we're also growing in lostness. The percentage of nuns, and you guys have probably heard this, the people who are under 30, largely 30, let me get this number exactly right. I want to tell you the, tell you the right number. The number of nuns, people who don't identify with any religion, um, has tripled just in the past uh, 30 years. So from um, from 1985, roughly, until now, the number of people who have... Um, who say when they're asked, are you Christian, are you Buddhist, are you Catholic, are you whatever, whenever they're asked that, they don't affiliate with any religion. It has grown from 7% to 20% of the American population. And that percentage is much higher among people basically your age, people who are 30 or younger. That number is much higher, closer to 30 or 40%. It is... um, Yeah, a third, 33% of adults under 30 have no religious affiliation. So so even as we're growing in diversity, we're growing in lostness too. People who who just don't know about God, who don't know about a relationship with Jesus. And so we're trying through these church plants to, uh, to reach into those areas. And God is doing that in creative ways. I've mentioned some. Uh, one guy came to us last year, uh, Johnny Lee, L-E. He is Vietnamese. He's a... Was a uh, met Christ in a Vietnamese prisoner of war camp during the Vietnam War and um, came, to, came to know God in a really exciting way. I won't go into his whole testimony. But he is a Tai Chi and a Kung Fu master, black belt and a, and a master in this. And he wanted to use that to reach people with the gospel. So he went to a recreation center and started a Tai Chi and Kung Fu class. And so he quickly had 30 or 40 people there and he thought, this has got to multiply. How can I do this more? So he came to us and he said, do you know churches that might be open to this? In one year, they went from having this one class to now they have six different places where they meet. Six different Tai Chi and Kung Fu classes that meet. They're learning these things, but then they are always praying for each other. At the end, Brother Johnny brings in a Bible story and they talk about that. They're praying for each other. Uh, One of those uh, groups has even kind of spawned a house church, a church that meets in a home, a simpler form of church, but an honest-to-goodness church. And in one year, 20 people have come to know the Lord through Kung Fu and Tai Chi, and 17 of those have even gone uh, to the point of being baptized. So uh, I was at a a Tai Chi uh, demonstration out at Mount Lebanon uh, a month ago, 
And these two young men came up to Johnny at the beginning, and they said they wanted to talk to him, and he was kind of nervous because they were getting everything ready, and he thought, oh, no, they're going to try to back out of this responsibility that I've given them. And they said, no, 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 it's not that, um, Master Johnny. It is that we have, uh, we have turned our lives over to God, and, and this is a big group that includes our family, and we want to make sure that they know that. And so they professed their faith, uh, uh, turning from a... Um, uh, I'm not sure what their background was, uh, what their religious faith background was, but they turned from that and instead said, now we are following Christ. They called folks up and had, them, had us lay our hands on them and pray for them there in front of their people so that they would know that their lives have completely changed and they're headed. So, so these are the kinds of new church plants that are, that are starting. They meet in all kinds of places. In, in church buildings, some of them do maybe share a church building or have a small church building themselves in storefronts and on a college campus. Uh, in houses, uh, office parks, uh, apartment complexes. We have several churches that are meeting in apartments. That's a great uh, way to reach people. We have one that right now is worshiping in a um, Western uh, country club, a Western swing dance hall. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Last night they were, you know, they were having a dance there, and then this morning they're worshiping, uh, worshiping God in the in the dance hall there. That just started this summer at, at a, a encampment, at a chapel there, at a tennis club up in Rowlett, at a hotel down in DeSoto, a covered shelter in a city park over in Fort Worth, and a, over in South Dallas um, in a neighborhood named Joppa. There are folks that are worshiping at an outdoor kind of cowboy rodeo arena right there. So it's an exciting time. God is creating all kinds of exciting things going on there. And you guys are sending missionaries to all these places. And so I thank you so, so much for that. But let me say that that's not the whole story. So I do want to say thank you for what you're doing. Because like Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the early church, uh, you guys are sending people out. And that's great. But... That's not the whole story. As we hear even Matthew uh, 28, when we hear the Great Commission, what, do we, what's, what words do we hear there? We hear, go ye therefore into all the nations. Go ye therefore. This idea that God is a missionary God is all through the Old Testament. You see it in Isaiah. Isaiah in Isaiah 6 has this great worship experience with the Lord, and, uh, and he sees God, and he's exalted, high and lifted up, and, and he even has this, uh, this kind of cleansing, kind of forgiveness experience. And then, and then God says, uh, who can I send to the people who need to know about this? Who will go for me? And, it's, uh, and then Isaiah's reply is, here am I, send me. They, he was sent personally. Sure, there's the prophets, there's uh, the preachers of the Old Testament. Sure, those guys have a role even now. You wanna, I, wanna, I want you to keep Brother Heath. But it is, God is sending you as well, and he has always done that. God is a missionary God who sent us out. We see this in, uh, in the New Testament. It comes up in the New Testament a lot. You see, uh, in the Gospel of John, the words for send or sent come up 60 times. 60 times, and most of the time, it is God who is sending Jesus for some task, okay? And Jesus is the sent one, and God is the one who is sending. But then at the end, at the, at the final time that these words are used, Jesus makes an important switch there. And he says, not only am I the one who is sent, I am the sender. Listen to this. These are the, the two key verses I'd like for us just to focus on in our remaining minutes. And it is John chapter 20, verse 21. Where Jesus says, this is right after, let me set it up. I didn't set it up quite right. This is right when uh, Jesus has been crucified. 
And so they're all huddled in the upper room, and Jesus comes in. And so they're kind of scared, you know, because here comes Jesus into a locked room. So how do you do all that and such? And it says, and Jesus said, peace be with you. He's calming them down. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As, I, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So now these guys who have just been following him, who've been learning from him, who uh, he has sent them out before. Remember, he sends the 70 out. So he's been getting them practice. But he's saying, no, you guys are now the sent ones. This is key. Jesus gives us a mission. He sends us on a mission. We get to play. It's not just the missionaries. Did you see the quote there that talked about how don't, feel, don't pity missionaries because they're on the cutting edge? No, no, no. You get to be on the cutting edge too. You are on the cutting edge. God has sent you out into a lost world. We are supposed to go out. It's good. It's great to attract people. And we want to do that. Um, you know, you guys attracted 2,000 people to this place on, on Friday. You're inviting people to church. That's great. So this is good. But also, we are sent out. We go out to people who would never come to this place. They just don't get it. They don't understand it. One guy uh, told me it was like saying, to say that people out there are unchurched is kind of like saying we, Christians or Baptists especially maybe, are unbingoed. You know, we don't go to a bingo parlor. We don't play bingo. We don't, ever, we don't even think about it. What would that add to my life? Going to play bingo? I don't even know anybody who plays bingo, you know. Um, so it's just kind of out there. Well, that's what going to church is like probably for most of the people that are out there. They just don't get it. They don't know. What would it add to their lives? What's it like? I don't know what goes on in a bingo hall. You know, it might be weird. So they just don't know. So there's a guy, Alan Hirsch, who's a great theological um, thinker, kind of a missiologist, helps us study missions. And he believes that as much as 60% of even American culture, as much as as many churches there are on corners everywhere, he thinks as much as 60% of American culture will just never be reached by churches as they are now. That there's just no way to reach them given the setup that we have now. So we must live into what it is that God's told us to do, our identity as missionaries ourselves, to go out and do that, uh, do that as well. But the second part of that, he says, as the Father sent me, I send you. So we're sent, but that first part says, as, like God sent me. Well, how did God send Jesus? How is it that we're, uh, that we are supposed to be living if, if we are living as, uh, if we're sent as Jesus is sent? Well, in a couple of ways. Let me just hit them real quick. First, one is with good news, okay? So, uh, the good news, when we think about the gospel, don't we oftentimes think primarily of, of heaven and forgiveness of sin and then going to heaven? And that is great. Man, I am looking forward to spending eternity in heaven. My life is improved because, uh, because I'm living guilt-free. You know, I don't have to worry even about sins in my future. God has forgiven. He's taking care of that on the cross. I, I don't have to worry about that. But what I find is that most of my friends uh, who are not in church, I'm having, I, I work in a church environment with a lot of churches, so I have to kind of work to get outside my Christian bubble. So, uh, so I'm, I'm trying two or three and uh, really more than that. I'm, I'm looking for ways to connect with people out, outside of church. And what I'm finding is they're not asking about eternity. They're not really thinking about that. They don't necessarily feel guilty about the things they're doing either. They, they may just know that it's not working. 
Their marriage is falling apart. Their kids are rebellious. Things are, uh, they don't know how to handle this. They're stressed out at work, so they just know things aren't working. But they probably wouldn't word it in the way of guilt. Well, how, what is good news for them? How can we communicate the good news to them? So I am uh, actively working at cleaning up my language. Not, in, not from cuss words, but from church words. I'm trying to think, say, how can I communicate the fullness of what it is that God has done for me and what he offers to our world in ways that would make sense to people who don't go to church? How do, how do we communicate um, those things? So let me encourage you to, to think about how can you word, what is it good that God's done in your life outside of eternity? Maybe you think back to a hard time in your marriage. I do. I think back to a hard time in my marriage when obeying Scripture, even when I didn't feel like it, saved my marriage. And I can tell people about that. That is great news uh, and that I can share with people who are having difficulty in their marriage. Maybe you went through a dark time of depression and God pulled you out of that. Maybe you struggled with addiction and God gave you the power to, to come through that, that it was God's power that, that brought you out of addiction. What is the good news and then be open about that with your friends and with your family. We all have friends that are close to us, family members even, who we just hurt for because they, because they don't know Christ. And at least they don't know him in the way that we know him. And they're not going to come to church. And if they did, honestly, they probably wouldn't get it, right? So we, how do we communicate them with that? So God sends us with good news. And then finally, the last point, and this may be the most important point, at least it has been for me, is he sends us through the power of of the Holy Spirit. He sends us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is huge. I, I used to not catch that. I used to th- just ask God to help me with things. God, give me strength to do this. But then I saw that in Scripture, what we see is that it is, no, I am dead. My strength, in my strength, I am dead. In Romans 6, it says you are dead to sin. So we are dead to that. And instead, it is the life of Christ that lives through us. And we see that's how Jesus lived. I'm going to finish on time, Pastor. The, uh, <laughs> I just looked at it. The, in, uh, in John, several times, it is 10 or 15 times that Jesus talks about how he lived. He said, uh, the son, he's talking about himself. The son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the father doing. Uh, later on in chapter 5, he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. This is Jesus, the son of God, God himself saying, I do nothing on my own. I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. My teachings are not mine, but he, but his who sent me. The things which I've heard from the Father I pass on to you. All these things show us that the way that we can live, we, if we were trying to be missionaries on our own, we would burn ourselves out and we wouldn't know what to do. We'd, we'd just be frustrated and, and burned out. And even it could lead us into sin as we lead more and more in our own figuring out. Even if we're trying to figure out good things, it can lead us into trouble. So... Instead, what we see in Jesus and what he tells us to do is to live a life of just obedience to him. Moment by moment, I am, I'm, I'm still practicing at this, but, and I will be my whole life, but I've learned a whole lot more about not trying to figure things out on my own, not trying to do great things for God, not asking what would Jesus do, but instead I'm just saying, God, just tell me what to do and I'll respond. In conversations, when I'm talking with people, I'm praying, God, just tell me what to say. Sometimes when I'm driving, I'll say, God, tell me which way to turn, you know. Whenever I'm making, when I'm at work, I've got a table full of stuff there that I need to do. Not all of it's going to be done. God, tell me which one of these is most important. What do I do? Moment by moment, that's how God sent us out. He sent us with good news and with his power, with his Holy Spirit.
So, thank you for what you're doing in sending missionaries. But also know that God has sent you as missionaries and that you get to be in on the game and that you get to play and that you get to be on the cutting edge of taking God's good news to the people that you love. And that as you do that, you are taking good news and that you have the power of the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ living through you that's going to be so attractive. It's going to be so beautiful to the people that you talk to. Don't know how God is going to use that in your life, how you would respond to a missions message, but it, maybe God is, and maybe God has this week already been preparing you to respond in some public way. We'll have the invitation now and invite you to do that. But even if you don't come forward, and you're invited to come forward and to pray right here too, but even if you don't come forward, man, don't waste the opportunity to say, God, here I am. Is there someone? Who are you sending me to? Is there someone you want me to take your love to? Is there someone you want me to serve? Is there somebody you want me to pass on your message to? Let's, uh, let's go ahead and stand, and I'll pray for us, and we'll sing. Father, you are so good to us, and uh, that goodness just escapes all bounds. So thank you for that goodness. Thank you for how you are taking the words and the message of the gospel to every part of this world. But Father, we know that you have a word for us too, that you mean for us to respond to that. And so however you mean for that to be, whether publicly, I pray you give that last measure of courage to step forward. But even privately, Father, may we have the courage to to ask you honestly what it is you want us to do and then to quickly respond to that. We pray you bless this this time, these moments of, of dealing with you in our hearts, in our minds. In Jesus' name.